It's Tuesday, May 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Supernova, David Kretzman, and from Hidden Gems, Seth Jason. Gentlemen, how's it going? Hey, Pretty hey. good. This is new and exciting. I don't think I've ever been in the studio with you, Seth, before, and I certainly haven't been in here with the two of you before. This is great. I've what never happened? had this much cold medicine before work, so <laughs> anything can happen. This is going to be a great show. It's going to go so smoothly. What happened to make this happen? I don't know. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people canceled on me. <laughs> uh, we've got plenty to talk about today, including news from GoPro and earnings from Best Buy. You know what? In fact, let's start with GoPro. Uh, and David, I'd love your reaction on the GoPro news that they are now equity partners with Red Bull, which kind of makes some sense, in my mind at least. The two kind of go hand in hand. Those Red Bull commercials, you see them all the time with the crazy stunts and the uh, the, the you know the jumping off the buildings and the what have yous. Uh, and more often than not, they're probably wearing GoPros uh, to film those videos. It seems like this is a no-brainer. What's your take on this? Yeah, this is, this is a pretty natural partnership. Red Bull is actually kind of an inspiration for uh, Nick Woodman, founder and CEO of GoPro, when he was trying to create uh, kind of a lifestyle brand with GoPro. So Red Bull was an inspiration for GoPro early on as they were building that company. Like you said, the companies have been working together in different ways for a long time. Red Bull does a lot of you know the action stunts, different extreme sports. Uh, so a lot of their athletes wear GoPros anyway. Mm-hmm. So with this with this deal, it's essentially a multi-year partnership between the two brands. Red Bull will now have a stake, an equity stake in uh, GoPro. Red Bull has a lot of events internationally. Uh, in, in the press release, they mentioned they have 1,800 events across mm. more than 100 countries. Uh, the content that they capture with GoPro, which is now the exclusive kind of point of view mm-hmm. um, uh, video capture uh, for Red Bull, that content will be dis- distributed across uh, both companies' digital distribution platforms. So I think this makes sense for both companies. It's, it's certainly probably one of the few bright spots we've seen with GoPro in about a year. As a uh, GoPro shareholder, long-suffering, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been, it's uh, is there brutal. any moolah involved? Is this just uh, equity for, for helping out, or is this, here's some moolah, you get some equity in? We, is this, no, just, no moolah. Not so, really. Yeah, okay. GoPro is, yeah. gets, uh, or excuse me, Red Bull is now an equity partner in GoPro. They get less than 1% of the tech company's Class A shares. Oh, so, not that, so, yeah. uh, not it's, that it's, much. It's a good hookup, though, because they, yeah. they can, you know, they can cross-pollinate in the extreme areas, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the extremities. Absolutely, and and Red Bull. To David, to your point, you know, they've uh, they they've been an inspiration for GoPro over the years, and Red Bull has just been trying to expand. I think a lot. You know, obviously, it's a it's a beverage maker. That's mm-hmm. the core company here, but they've also got a lot of properties outside of that. The New York Red Bulls is a pro soccer team franchise. Uh, they have a Formula One racing team. They've got all this extreme sports programming. Uh, now GoPro gets to videotape it all. It makes a lot of sense for GoPro, and it makes a lot of sense uh, for Red Bull uh, to get you know access to all the GoPro tech early on, which I thought was a pretty cool deal that uh, that Red Bull gets a first look at any products GoPro creates in the future. And they are pushing out a little bit more professional level stuff, exactly right? some of the 360 yeah. degree camera arrays and all of that. So right. Yeah, all, all in I, I, I see this as you know, it's a brand building opportunity for GoPro. It's not going to directly contribute, you know, to to revenue, which you know might might be a bummer today. But long term, I, I think this uh, certainly pushes their media efforts in the right direction. Ideally, GoPro can become more of a media company, whether they make revenue from it directly or you know they're producing more professional content, as Seth said. But for now, the company is still dependent on the sale of their cameras to generate sales, which up to this point. You know, over the past six to nine months has been, you know, uh, an unfortunate reality for the company. But 
partnerships like this, I think, moves the company in a direction where it puts them on a more sustainable path for the long term. So, all in all, good news for GoPro. Seth, you came in here cold. You insisted that you not hear this news. I didn't scream, did I? You didn't. So, is this a good thing for you as a GoPro shareholder? I don't know if there's anything that's good enough for me right now as a GoPro shareholder. Get that drone camera out there already so people can have the next shiny thing to spend their money on. Yeah. I want people screaming, take my money. Shut up and take my money and, and buying GoPro. And they think... delayed the drone for till, till the holiday season this yeah. year. So, we'll see if the drone... Yeah, it better be awesome because it's about four years late to market. Right. Woof. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Best Buy, which announced first quarter earnings uh, earlier. Uh, on this quarter, you know, Best Buy seemed to do pretty darn well, David, uh, including a 77% increase in the company's first quarter net incro- income. Excuse me, uh, but the shares are still down a bit today. Tell me a bit about uh, the market's reaction to Best Buy. Yeah. All in all. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot to be excited about. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that we're not filming this so that people can see that shrug. Uh, that just uh, the visual went. I'm <laughs> trying to give Best Buy some love. Really, the only bright spot I see uh, is their online sales domestically increased 24, mm-hmm. percent but that still only makes up about 10 percent of sales for the company. So, you know, the, their sales are still uh, pretty sluggish. Um, their domestic uh, comps were down slightly, pretty flatter down. International revenue was down 8 percent. So this is a company they're they're still dependent on their retail locations. Those locations aren't performing very well. They're trying to boost that online business, but that's not performing well and they're still underperforming Amazon in terms of sales growth. Amazon in the most recent quarter, they grew sales 28%. So that growth is outpacing Best Buy's online growth. Just so, a hint. Very tough yeah. to to compete with that gorilla Amazon. Yeah. It's just, just they're, they're they're whomping everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Seth, when was the last time you stepped foot in a Best Buy? I can guarantee it was a disappointing experience. It's been years. I drive by one all the time uh, near my house where I go get groceries. And every once in a while, I think, oh, I'm going to go in there and look at stuff. And then I remember and I go, mm, I'll go home and get on the computer and look at stuff. Well, that's the thing with Best Buy. You go in and look at stuff, but that doesn't mean you're going to buy something in there. You know, it's a yeah. showroom. You, mm-hmm. you look at the stuff there, then you buy it online, usually not at Best Buy, but at yeah. Amazon. That's been my, my history. Anyway. It is a rough business. It's a rough business. Not easy to be a big box retailer these days. And it's also not really that easy to be in the restaurant industry these days. You know, we talk about how the retailers have suffered over the last couple of quarters, but it's time we take a look at the restaurant industry. Both of you uh, seem to have a lot to say about restaurants when we were talking about this show earlier today. Uh, so let's just dive on in. Uh, let's start with something that uh, has been very surprising to me. It's the sudden decline in the fortunes of, for instance, Chipotle, uh, and the sudden resurgence of McDonald's, which to me seems like a incredible turnaround from the last couple of years, where you see these fast food companies just uh, bottoming out as people insist on healthier and healthier fare. Uh, and now <laughs> we Chipotle. need finger quotes around healthier. Okay, right? okay that's like a fair point. calorie meal at Chipotle <laughs> sure. is healthier. Sure, but. Uh, but it's, it surprises it's me fresh. to see that whenever we talk about earnings these last couple of months, uh, that's been the story. And Seth, I'd love your take on that. What's going on here? Well, it's pretty complex, and I uh, I think it's easy to be misled by the headlines. I've been you know sort of absorbing these over the past few weeks um, myself. So Chipotle is, is is very simple. If you poison a bunch of people <laughs> by accident in several different uh, incidents, people uh-huh. are going to stop going to your restaurants, and sure. so that's responsible for a huge huge uh, sales drop for them. But even uh, somebody like Buffalo Wild Wings, which has done well for a while, uh, had uh, slightly negative comps this quarter. 
and uh, only 15% revenue growth uh, mm. by expanding locations. Uh, but they are not the only fast casuals that were uh, not doing so well. Uh, Bravo Rio and Applebee's are a couple more that reported same-store sales drops. And a lot of the stories said, well, everyone has traded down to fast food. Everyone's running out of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, except in early May, I think it was the 11th, Wendy's scared the market when they said, eh, we're not so sure about sales. And so everyone ran away from the fast food shares. So one of the, one of the points I wanted to make is that if you look at uh, for a trend through the lenses of several of the companies you follow, mm-hmm. uh, it can seem pretty grim and you might be missing you know, what's actually going on in the forest for the trees. So in order to get a broader look, I like to look at uh, other uh, aspects of the restaurant business. And one good place to look is suppliers. So you could start with a giant uh, supplier like Cisco, and you can see that the overall sales trends for them have been uh, they've been mixed. I mean, the national uh, restaurant data that they follow shows that it's a little choppy, but up slightly. And uh, even but even with that, Cisco's uh, case growth uh, for the quarter that ended in May, at the beginning of May, or the quarter that they reported in the beginning of May, was up about 3.5 percent. Mm-hmm. So they were still, you know, I'm not talking about dollars; I'm talking about volume. Still, still moving more product. And we've got a smaller player in Hidden Gems, a specialty supplier called Chef's uh, Warehouse, and their case growth was up 7.5%. And so this suggests to me that we might be looking at a kind of a, a bifurcated market. So the lower end seems to be struggling, the middle seems to be struggling. Chef's Warehouse serves uh, specialty restaurants and then places like uh, country clubs, mm-hmm. higher end, higher end chef driven places. And if you judge by what those places are buying, more cases of stuff, the business can't be all that bad, I don't think. At least not across the board. Well, I guess my question there is, who's buying at those those high end? Is it the baby boomers? Because I know millennials are, are, are driving. Maybe. Well, I guess I so. I mean, well, that, well, that's my question. You know, the millennials they've driven Chipotle to the point where it is now, and yeah. now they're turning towards the convenience and the cheapness of fast food once again. Yeah. Whereas, at least at the high end, according to you, it's still doing just fine. Is that well, the baby boomers up there? Or who who's buying? It, I would say it's it's just tough to say. I mean, when I see the difference between what a lot of restaurants are reporting and what their suppliers are reporting. That doesn't suggest to me that that maybe the supplier uh, information is necessarily better. Hmm. Um, uh, it's that maybe it's more mixed, and that I'm not getting the whole picture by what I'm reading in these in these headlines. And that's actually one of the scary things about investing. You can talk yourself into an opinion on an industry or on some stocks without actually realizing you're doing it. So you got to be aware when you're reading those articles. Yeah, you don't want to extrapolate too much from one quarter. You know. P- Consumer preferences can change pretty quickly, you know. So maybe casual diners, for the most part, uh, in the first quarter, they they struggled the most out of the restaurant category. Maybe that picks up later this year, um, as, as those casual diners like Applebee's, um, Chili's, Ruby Tuesday, Red Robin, you know, they'll they'll take take steps to try to bring those uh, guest counts uh, back up. But one case I thought that was interesting with Buffalo Wild Wings, which Seth mentioned, went on the first quarter conference call. The word value appeared 21 times uh, in the conference call, so they were talking about how consumers are more value-driven all of a sudden, and, and it mm. sort of hit them out of nowhere. Like they they reduced their their guidance for the rest of the year, rest of the year based on the results they reported. So 21 times the word value appeared uh, in the first quarter. In the fourth quarter, it appeared just 10 times. And in the first quarter last year, it only appeared twice. So it shows you maybe you know some. Maybe an inter- interesting glimpse in the case of Buffalo Wild Wings as far as consumer trends. Um, in general, when, when I look at individual restaurants, I'm 
most attracted to the companies that are able to be nimble and offer things like takeout, online ordering, which uh, Buffalo Wild Wings is doing, Red Robin is doing, um, Chipotle and Starbucks obviously have a pretty uh, a growing presence uh, with digital ordering, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I tend to look like, look at on an individual case. So companies that are embracing technology can be more flexible across you know the the inevitable ebbs and flows that come in the restaurant business sure yeah. it makes sense so and, and as for demand I think it's uh, I, I saw this in retail too and, and I have a hypothesis which is that when you've got an election campaign going on mm-hmm. where it's in everyone's interest who's running for office to tell you how terrible things are people start to believe it <laughs> and they sense. start to pull back mm-hmm. well I think that's a surprising thing is uh, Restaurant same store sales as a whole were, were pretty weak. They're up 1.3 percent on average uh, in the first quarter, compared to a 4.8 percent increase in the first quarter last year. But unemployment, you know, is pretty low, around 5 percent. Like wages are up a little bit. Yeah, so, so it, there's, there's a disconnect. Not, yeah, so we're, we're not worse off than we were a year ago, by and large, for most people. So I think that's the surprising thing. So maybe maybe the election is playing into that. So how do companies how do companies bridge that disconnect? If your Chipotle is now the time, for instance, like you said, to, to build those digital outlets, is now the time to to double down on the pizzeria and the uh, what's the Asian uh, shop, food, house. shop house shop house? Like, is now the time to, to speed those up and well, get right them to market? Well, right now they're trying to juggle making sure they don't poison anybody, and that takes some pretty big changes, <laughs> you seem, actually. You seem fixated <laughs> on that. Yeah. As a Chipotle shareholder and someone who doesn't enjoy spending time in the bathroom any more than I have to, <laughs> I'm pretty concerned with that, and uh, <laughs> this is the best show we've ever had. This is great, and, but but it takes a lot because uh, they like to talk about how they had great standards and mm-hmm. now they're going to have the best standards in the world. But when the whole thing happened, I took a look and uh, and it looked to me like their standards were a little bit lax. They mm-hmm. you know they were angry. I remember early on they were angry that the uh, government couldn't figure out where you know the source of the salmonella outbreak at one point, and they were ticked off about that. And I thought, no, it's your job to know what thing you served people was bad. The government will try to figure it out later, but you should know. And so they're taking a lot of steps, like having uh, their suppliers uh, more carefully vetted by ha- by being able to follow uh, products from place to place by blanching things that could possibly be contaminated to you know kill any bacteria that might be on them and by having certain things more things prepared at what they call commissaries but really they're just commercial kitchens that that pre-cook and pre-chop things and Chipotle has always used these they've just used the higher end ones that tend to serve cruise ships and others that's a, mm. a secret they don't want people to really know but but it actually is the way it is um, but they have to do that. So right now they're trying to bring people back in by telling them what they're doing to keep the food safe. And once they've got that figured out, then they'll try and figure out how to how to grow things. What an election year sort of, sort of way of looking at things. So negative, Seth. Let's look at the positives. Okay, who out there, with all this said in the restaurant industry, David? Who are you looking at as a great investment right now? Restaurant company. Uh, who do you who do you like? Taking kind of a contrarian stance here, like I don't think casual dining restaurants are going to disappear or anything. Uh, Red Robin is actually a company I, I think should Red get Robin. a little more attention. And I brought this up at Fool Fest last week, our member event. Uh, we had a presentation, uh, Simon Erickson, Matt Argersinger, and me. And Red Robin was kind of the stock I pitched at the end, and no one in the crowd voted for Red Robin as the stock they liked the most. So that that stung a little bit. But uh, yeah, have you seen how Red Robin's been doing? <laughs> what, what, this is a contrarian play. I, I should probably visit the the restaurants, but I, I for me it really comes down to the the leadership. So obviously with someone like Sally Smith at Buffalo Wild Wings, um, you know we, when you have confidence in a leadership team, they can be more nimble and flexible and and um, 
build that that brand over time. Red Robin has actually been doing pretty well over the past few years. They've struggled the past couple quarters with dropping uh, guest counts, mm-hmm. uh, but the CEO uh, Stephen Carley, who took over in 2010, he's done a lot to rebuild the brand. They're, they're finishing up remodeling all of their uh, restaurants this year. They installed tabletop tablets uh, at each of their uh, restaurants, a similar thing that Buffalo Wild Wings has done. So when you sit down at your table, you can order from the tablet, you can play games and pay and spend extra money that way. Uh, they're embracing technology more than a lot of other casual dining chains. So I think they're, they're I mean, they, they were uh, hit more than 20% last week after weak results. But I think with the strategic plan that they have, the focus on embracing technology, I think they'll pull out ahead when all is said and done. It might be a rough year for them and others like Buffalo Wild Wings, but uh, looking out three to five years, I think they'll be okay. okay. I think you got to bet on Be Wild. They, they, they're like beer and wings and sports, and they know how to keep bringing the people back. America. Yeah, yeah America. <laughs> Seth, is, so is your is your pick uh, Be Wild? If you have to look at stuff uh, among those we've talked today, yeah, I think Buffalo Wild Wings is, is going to be back. And people will be back to Chipotle eventually, too. They they want to like Chipotle because they want to believe all the nice things about the, the pigs being petted before they go to sleep and before they're made into... Uh, Burritos. So. Sure. Chipo- sure. People want to believe all that. Something to watch with Chipotle too in November. Uh, this, it, the, the news of them hiring uh, the chief digital officer from Starbucks, mm-hmm. the guy who created uh, Starbucks loyalty program and digital program. He headed up that program at Starbucks for 18 years. Forget his name, um, but he he's now the first chief digital officer at Chipotle. So. We, we've seen the company offering you know buy one get one free you know burritos and stuff like that. So I think. Through this year and over the next three years or so, we should really be watching for Chipotle to, you know, launch some some sort of stronger digital presence and a customer loyalty program. They've started to do that now, and I hope they keep doing more there because I think there's a big opportunity for them to start to rival Starbucks when it comes to that mobile and digital strategy. And in the last call, they let slip that one of the biggest drops they've had uh, in their sales has been. Um, the folks who come to Chipotle like three, four, five times a week. Yeah, the, the most loyal customers, yeah. and those are the ones you need to get yeah. back. Well, it's, then my question for you both is, what's your guilty pleasure? Are you going to Chipotle three, four, five times a week? Seth, I know you run a lot. Uh, you're, you're a big marathon runner. What's what's the fuel for you? What do you, I, I or what do you splurge on I, afterwards? Uh, you know what? I uh, told my wife to quit buying them uh, when she goes to Trader Joe's because I can't stand. Uh, I cannot stand up to them. Uh, the Trader Joe's uh, pound and a half uh, milk chocolate with almond bars. Like I'll just eat mm. I'll pound eat and s- a half. Yeah, I, well, you're I don't a twig eat, man. Yeah, My no, God. I'll, but I'll I'll eat a thousand calories worth of that in two minutes. <laughs> okay, impressive, David. <laughs> Can you beat that? I, I go with the burrito bowl at Chipotle. Sure. I get that two or three times a week. I'm still a loyal loyal customer. Two so. or three times a week. Man, All right, can't get enough of that. <laughs> Seth, Jason, David Kretzman, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.